Welcome to This Old App, a podcast about learning, coding, smashing stuff together, breaking things apart, startups, failing, winning, and any other buzzwords we can think of. Hey, Randy. Uh, Today, we've got with us uh, David Rogers. Uh, David is a senior software engineer with the Grove Collective and somebody I've known for many, many a year. So welcome, David. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, for sure. So, David, um, as I said, uh, David and I go go back a ways, and and it'd be folly to try and figure out how far back. Um, <laughs> but uh, but certainly back to the days when David used to live in Orlando, now live in uh, North Carolina. Correct, David? That's right. Uh, just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and okay. uh, we're in Durham for uh, for work these days. Okay. Okay. So. Um, I used to, we used to run the same circles. Um, David would run the local PHP meetup in, in addition to many others. Um, he, he ran the coding dojo for a while. Um, and I'd pop my head in, in those places every, every once in a while. Um, mainly because David, David's a good communicator and, and, and a good teacher. And, and whenever he's talking about something, you're going to learn something. So, um, and and he's a he's a good guy to hang around with too. So that's why we invited him on today as well. So um, so David, after after doing that for for a few years, David, um, we actually worked together for about a year. Correct. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We were um, we were on the Coney rocket ship there for just a minute. <laughs> uh, rocket ro- rocket ship uh, uh, without without going too too into the details. Rocket ship could be the right explanation. So <laughs> the right description, depending on which rocket ship you're talking about. So right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out whenever you set the back end of you on fire and try to aim for the stars, <laughs> it's a risky proposition. Yes. Uh, but we, we, we had a good time. Uh, D- David was, was leading the, the engineering effort um, for, for the uh, for the marketing side there, and he brought uh, he brought me in as along with a few others to um, try and steer it in the right direction. Um, right. We we did about as well steering as you can on a rocket ship. So right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it 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 was good times uh, for the most part. I'm 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 glad I'm glad we had the time together. Yeah, um, definitely. It, it was it was good times. Um, and it we was, both uh, learned a lot. That's what sure. was Coney? We, Explain to me what Coney was, other than a rocket ship. Oh, it was a rocket ship. Uh, Coney was, is, still is a um, enterprise grade uh, mobile application development platform. It was one of those write in one language and deploy to native versions of mm. iOS, Android at the time. BlackBerry, because you know BlackBerry was still making their own OS at the time. Yeah. Um, Windows Phone was still around, uh, all that stuff. So uh, they would they had an IDE, and you your developers would would get access to the IDE and to their um, uh, to their software. Uh, you your developers would build kind of a wireframe version of the app in their IDE, and then the IDE would build out uh, native versions of the uh, of the app in Android and iOS and so on and so forth. With kind of like a business logic piece uh, running in in JavaScript at the time. Um, kind of like uh, AppSeller or Titanium or uh, um, Xamarin yeah. or uh, those types of solutions. So it's all, so like now people are using React Native and Cordova mm-hmm. and Ionic and stuff like that. So that's what it was essentially doing. Um, kind of, sort of. Ionic and and React Native, yeah, they, they're you're they're building. Um, taking JavaScript and actually transposing it directly into the native widgets. Uh, Coney's technology was slightly different in that it it, it was mostly using JavaScript as glue between mm-hmm. native components that they had built, and you were you know you could style the components, but they were they were doing a similar translation exercise. Cool. And at, you know at the time people were doing a lot of phone gap stuff. That was one of the targets that yeah. um, that we, that we hit as well. It was like if you want an HTML5 phone gap wrapper as a initial. Uh, as an initial go, then, you know, push that button too. Yep. Yeah. So, 
But we uh, both of us have moved on. So David is now, uh, as I as I said earlier, senior software engineer at Grove Collective. So David, tell us a little bit about Grove Collective and what you're doing there. Yeah, um, well, Grove is you know on on the surface an e-commerce company for eco-friendly home brands. Um, we're, 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 that's again, like I said, on the surface, right? Uh, we have a site, you can sign up through the site and get, uh, your favorite eco-friendly brands like Mrs. Myers and Burt's Bees and seventh generation and those sort of things, uh, delivered to your home on a regular subscription. So it's kind of like a subscription first model. Um, but we also have our own flagship products that we manufacture and they're also eco-friendly products. So we have a, a line of tree-free paper products for the home, um, toilet paper, tissue paper, um, uh, uh, paper towels, that sort of thing that are made with no tree fiber at all. They're made from um, from harvested bamboo and upcycled sugar cane. Uh, so that's one of our products. We have a, a, a bunch of other products that we also sell. We also manufacture and sell a lot of um, reusable vessels. We've got a laundry system that uses reusable vessels and low impact uh, organic plastics for the containers and uh, non-petroleum, you know, animal, uh, non-animal based uh, detergents and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's like the save the planet version of uh, of all of your tides and and uh, cascades and that sort of thing. Um, so we have we have that side. We have the manufacturing side. We also distribute all of the products that we sell from the vendors that we uh, supply from. And uh, we have the website that we supply. So we're kind of like a little baby Amazon is how I describe it. We've got, we're, we're making <laughs> our own products. We're warehousing our own products. We're fulfilling our own products. We're handling customer, customer support and we're selling them on a subscription instead of kind of like stapling them on after the fact, because wouldn't you love to have a subscription every year for that, uh, for that heat pump that you just bought? Yeah. Sure, sure. So, so based on the news coming out today, I assume you all pay taxes as opposed to Amazon, correct? <laughs> yeah. Does New York care about you all as much as they care about Amazon? That's the question. Well, you know, that's the question, really. We're actually really big in New York and um, several of the other large metro areas, but we're really big out in the Midwest. A lot of our, we, we found that a lot of our customers um, are in the suburbs in the Midwest. They're the products that we sell are not as readily available in those markets mm-hmm. and people people love just ha- not having to go to target and pay the extra target markup for the special products at target um and just having them delivered to their house interesting so, so what uh what what uh, go ahead randy well, i was just say what brought you to this company like what what were you doing before and what brought you to this new role yeah. Uh, well, before this, I was working for um, a hot startup in Raleigh uh, called Pendo. Uh, they're a very different business. That was a traditional software as a service business. And it was kind of like the meta software as a service. It was software for a service for people who make software as a service <laughs> so that they can make better software as a service. <laughs> Analytics platform, we would collect all of the user activity for uh, they're used for your users, for example, and uh, re- we would uh, we would display that in dashboards. But then you could also tag the features retroactively because we were collecting all the analytics, all of their activity, all of the time. Mm-hmm. You, you could uh, tag retroactive analytics, so you could pick up a feature that you didn't know was a feature, or you might have. You know, it, it turns out that someone changed the the path to that feature, and you need to update that. Well, you can actually update it both uh, so that you have. Uh, both features, the old feature and the new feature reporting on the same analytics. And then beyond that, you could uh, you could set up messaging so you could do a pop a light box or do a walkthrough or just put a tooltip in the right place for specific users based upon their analytics and their activity. Uh, so that was big infrastructure. That was lots of crazy yeah. stuff and very meta. Is <laughs> definitely not something that's easy to explain to your grandmother. Yeah. Uh, 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 the reason that I the reason that I shifted um, was maybe I'd done two and a half years at Pendo, um, and I, I just started. I got an email from Angel List uh, about a company that was looking to come to North Carolina. Uh, looked up the company, really liked what they what Grove was doing, uh, so I just, just opened it and I'm like, hey, let's just email this Chris guy and see what he's got to say. And he hooks me up with Noah, who's the uh, who's coming out to Raleigh, who was coming out to Raleigh at the time to. Uh, set up a second office for them. 
uh, we, we hit it off really well. And the opportunities that I had to, um, uh, to, to lead, uh, to help them work through a big uh, several big migrations, the types of problems that they were dealing with, the baby Amazon scale, like the their their growth curve, where they had just had a huge uptick in users and uh, and orders, uh, they were having to scale up to that. Like the problem seemed really interesting, the culture seemed very appealing, and uh, it was something that I could explain to everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always harder when you can't really ex- tell people what you do right. because the, in that, in their mind, it defeats what, that you're doing anything. Right. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been there before. I, I, um, I tell most people most of the time that I have built the internet one tube at a time for many years. <laughs> <laughs> so you were at Coney and I'm assuming between Coney and Pindo, what kind of work have you like? All the way through, you've been working with mobile kind of front end types of things. I mean, Don mentioned PHP earlier, right. but what's the trajectory of your technology you've been touching from Coney up to now? What have you been yeah. focused on? Yeah, when I was, um, Coney was kind of an inflection point for me. Uh, I had been doing a lot more back end development and full stack development. And I, I mean, like, full stack from the point of writing the bash scripts that <laughs> that boot the stupid thing all the way out to uh, implementing the CSS, right? So I'd been doing that yeah. for many years uh, with with PHP, with Python uh, and Django, with um, uh, done many WordPress sites over the years. Uh, I, I got my start in Orlando, Florida, working for uh, what, what became Purple Rock Scissors, a big agency down there in downtown Orlando. Uh, I was their first lead developer. And uh, at, when I got to Coney, I was really interested in, I was very intrigued by what was coming out of the front end development world. So Angular was pretty new and I, I wanted to try to experiment with that. Uh, and they were uh, nominally looking for someone to handle the marketing side of things. But once I got in there, I saw a big need for, uh, for a project that they were trying to launch to put their uh, on-premises solution, their their standard on-premise appliance into a cloud-based infrastructure and have a management portal and uh, kind of have uh, like a Heroku for Kony, yeah. which was very appealing to me. So that was that was why I ended up coming on with them. And that's also why I drug Don and Curtis and the rest of those guys into it <laughs> with me because I knew I wasn't going to be able to manage all of the marketing requests as well as build out this uh, dashboard and the UI and the API for that. Um, so that's that's kind of the project that I worked on Skunkworks while Don was helping me manage all of the marketing side, and that got me uh, my first foot in the door with Angular JS and some of the you know reactive view uh, components um, back in what was that 20, 2013, 2014, Don? That was a long time ago. Twenty twelve, maybe. 2012. Yeah, yeah, 20, 2012 to 2013. Yeah, and uh, just after that, I ended up working. I went back to freelance after uh, working with Coney for about a year and a half, and uh, ended up working with Code School on their shaping up with Angular JS course. So that was mm. the release of Angular 1.2, and Google was really hot about these new changes that they had made to the API that really confused the heck out of everybody who had been using yeah. it prior to that. Uh, so Code School got a contract with Google to build out an Angular course, but the only people they had on board that really knew Angular were the ones that were building their their, their learning management system using yeah. Angular JS. Uh, they they were th- all great teachers, just at capacity. So I got yeah. a chance to work with Greg. Um, I wrote that course. I uh, I built all the slides. I built the examples. Uh, I even got to direct Greg during the video shooting, which was a time you, you kind of hear somebody giggling in the background a little bit. That was <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> um, try. We had a great time with that course. Uh, I did some follow-up podcasts and video casts, streamcasts with them on uh, on some material. Uh, but that really launched me into full-time front-end development. Uh, I ha- I've, I've done plenty of back-end work since then, um, but getting into Angular and then getting into React and getting into all the things that have come afterwards have kind of been from that that kicking off point at Coney and then the, yeah. the Code School course. And after that, uh, Greg introduced me to the folks at the Iron Yard who were launching a 12-week 
uh, immersive boot camp for retraining folks into software development. Uh, I taught the front end co cohort there for a year and a well a year in Orlando, and then about a half a year up in Raleigh Durham. Helped them launch yeah. another campus. Uh, I was heavily involved with that, but you know, I was I was teaching JavaScript, JavaScript, JavaScript with a side of HTML and CSS only as needed for a year and a half. That was that was fantastic. But and now I'm I'm mostly I'm mostly front end. That's kind of been my trajectory. It's like uh, yeah, you learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it, and if it turns out to be really fun, maybe you get to stay with it. <laughs> So then right. for the last two jobs, and I know the answer, but I'm asking basically for the listeners, what have you been specifically doing with the front end with the last two positions? Yeah. Um, so uh, at, at Pendo, it was uh, Angular. They were on a very old version of Angular. They were still on Angular 1.2 at the time that I came on uh, back in 2016. And mm. they had a pretty small, uh, lightweight, understaffed uh, front end team. Uh, but most of the business logic for their application was built in the front end. The back end was uh, kind of an agnostic API. It was a, a, a custom query language, kind of like MongoDB's uh, yeah. aggregation pipeline, just for specifically for the types of events that we were collecting uh, for analytics purposes. Uh, so what I got to do there was help build out that team, help build out the strategy for hiring and uh, we, we, one of the first things that I implemented was pull requests and code reviews and formalizing that. Uh, and then from the you know from the front end architecture standpoint, we started upgrading to later ver later and later versions of Angular. Um, we, yeah. we made small jumps 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4 to 1.5 to eventually 1.6. Um, we started integrating some other tools and things. But Angular 1.2 at the time that we started making the upgrades from 1.2 uh 1.x uh angular had already been end of life right like they'd already yeah. been off the end of life on on angular and at the time you know it's it's like all open source projects like angular 1.4 will be the last release of angular <laughs> and, and the community outcries and <laughs> strangely there's a 1.1.5 will be the last release of <laughs> angular 1.63 we swear will be the last release of angular 1.7 Two, I'm pretty confident will maybe end the life of Angular. Uh, but, you know, the writing was still on the wall, right? Google was not throwing its full weight at the Angular 1.2 or 1.x project. Yeah. Uh, they moved on to Angular 2. Uh, we were looking at what comes next for us. Are, are we going to go with Angular 2? How do we go to Angular 2? How do we migrate to Angular 2? Does anybody really want to migrate to Angular 2? Yeah. Uh, looked at some other options. Um, we, I had done some teaching with Vue. There were some other folks that were very excited about maybe using Vue. We had folks that we had hired on that had lots of experience with React. So we kind of did a shootout between the three, between Vue and React and Angular 2.0, and uh, or two five seven nine whatever prime number we're releasing this week. Um, so we we did that for. Um, uh, we did that for like, I guess, three months. We did a shootout and tried to figure out which one we wanted to go with. And the so, can, so can we talk about that? I yeah. mean, this is, a, this is what a lot of companies go through right now because the front end framework uh, business is just nothing but radical change, yeah. new features, new yeah. ways of... So when you did the shootout, how we have a mix of developers that have egos and they yeah. like a certain thing you have the companies like google that what is google going to do with angular are they yeah. going to fall on their face view is brand new at the time react is really strong but backed yeah. by a company that no one trusts necessarily <laughs> so so like can you talk about the shootout how what you remember the strongest about it yeah how you came to a choice that kind of thing yeah, I, I think so. We had we kind of had a, a powwow of the interested parties on the front end team, and uh, you know we we had a discussion. We said you know these are kind of the three strongest options. Uh, there were some dark horse candidates that uh, were thrown in there, like uh, Riot JS. Um, mm -hmm. There are people that just threw out answers that didn't even make sense. Like we could build this with <laughs> RX JS. I um, yeah. I. Yeah, I don't think that's what that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, there were some folks that were um, that were really hot for the new for the new Angular for Angular IO. There were some folks that were really hot for React that had done a lot of very um, 
very good work with React. And there were some folks that had were interested in and had done some work with Vue. We kind of we picked one person from each one of those camps and, and said, go build the same thing in all three of these and mm-hmm. soup to nuts, total greenfield. Uh, but also, you know, like try to figure out how we would integrate this into what we're going to do now. Like what's, what are some of the pros and cons? What are some of the things that we need to consider? Uh, what are some of the pieces of the ecosystem that we, we need to look at? And th- we had several conversations over probably, you know, the course of three months, really. Like we, we'd have these meetings every other week and people would make progress and report on their progress. Uh, people would show more or less work. Uh, people would have, uh, you know, these giant issues that they were working on in, in GitHub and they would be adding comments to them and, and doing pull requests to, to do code reviews with these uh, with these proof of concepts. Uh, yeah. we, we just kind of settled on we should go with Vue for these reasons um, that it was a closer syntax to angular js uh, yeah. it was a, a another architectural and api improvement over what react had established um, there was less bike shedding and uh, debate to be had about the ecosystem if you use Vue, you use Vue router and you use vuex or you don't use Vuex, or you don't use Vue Router. There's not the bifurcation, multiply, multiplication of uh, ecosystems that you see in React, right? Where there's like seven different, pretty decent answers <laughs> to everything, right? <laughs> yes. We're going to use React, we're going to use Redux, and we're going to, or maybe we're going to use MobX, or maybe we're going to use Rx. We're just going to like shimmy yeah. Rx into there somehow. Uh, so that that was a big deciding factor as well. Like there was a very clear set, set of tools that we would be using if we chose Vuex, and the syntax was designed to be very similar to Angular, and we could start refactoring. We already had we had a path that we could refactor towards uh, these the these ES six module type services that would work inside of Angular inside of our existing code base. But then we could start reusing in whatever whatever framework we chose. Um, did you, did you get significant blowback from either of the people voting for sticking with Angular or the React side? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I I think the folks that were on the Angular side, the Angular 2.0, whatever it is, uh, they came around on their own a little more. They mm-hmm. they they did their proof of concept and they uh, showed off their work and everyone who was looking at their work, including them were like, so this is kind of weird and this is kind of funky. And this actually changed halfway through the proof of concept, which only lasted a few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And this, this API is completely deprecated now. And um, the build system is changing and uh, you know what, let's just not do this. Yeah, there was just way too much flux <laughs> inside of the Angular, the Angular 2.0 replacement, and there was still this concept that if we went with Angular 2, we weren't getting anything for choosing Angular 2. We were going to be rewriting almost everything in Angular. 2. Yeah, uh, late in the game, Angular, the Angular team announced that um, they were going to embed Angular 1.5 plus. Um, 1.6 in Angular 2 as a backwards compatibility mode so that you could slowly migrate your stuff over. And that just made everybody throw their hands up. They're like, what, uh, so we'll get we'll get Angular 2 and Angular 1 at the same time, but maybe not. Um, yeah. That, that was, if we're going to rewrite it, let's just rewrite it. Let's just figure out a way to rewrite it. Um, now, I want to stay on this path, but I do want to ask one sidebar question. Mm-hmm. Did you all look at Elm or Ember? We did. Um, well, it was brought up, right? Those are the dark ho- dark horse candidates. Uh, no one had any experience with Elm, and most of the folks mm-hmm. that we had on the team um, were struggling already with uh, with RxJS. We had incorporated RxJS and some of the functional programming that even Rx in- implements was yeah. probably going to be a little more than what these folks were used to. And we want yeah. we did not want to have some like central Elm guru uh, be the per, the bottleneck that everyone had to go through. Uh, the the documentation on the big three 
the uh, the amount of amount of resources out there for people to learn the big three was much greater than any of the others. Um, and nobody really had a taste for Ember, to be really honest. We looked at yeah. we looked at Ember. Um, our API was not structured in a way that would make Ember data even useful for us. Uh, mm. And no one was really excited about basically rewriting all of the models in Ember. Yeah. Ember to me has always felt like the rails of JavaScript trying to be the rails of JavaScript. <laughs> uh, totally. Which if you're a full stack developer, uh, which I was for a long time, especially when Ember, Ember was gaining popularity, um, it felt like you were rewriting everything twice, right? The, the dry principle is, is don't repeat yourself. And then the wet principle is write everything twice. Uh, it felt very wet that I was having to write all these models in Rails or Django or whatever on the back end uh, and expose them via an API and then have to write the models again to find the exact same models again in the front end with Ember. Even if I was doing something yeah. just ever so slightly different, it still felt like I was just doing the same thing over again. Um, yeah. Yep. So that that that's what informed. That's how you arrived at the decision right. at Pindo. How did you arrive at the decision to go with Vue at, at Grove? Um, yeah. at Grove? Um, well, so that decision was uh, was predates me a little bit. They did a similar shootout situation, um, but they were coming from a much older code base. Uh, the the front end code had been written in Backbone and Marionette. Uh, which is Randy and I were joking about before the show. That, that's kind of like the beginning, the dawn of time of front end yeah. frameworks. <laughs> and that had worked out really I mean, well for them. Backbone, backbone changed the game. Right. It suddenly gave us a way to organize what had been jQuery spaghetti right. for so long. Right. So it and it had kind of a, the outlet to finally bringing in data and managing data. Right. So that was you had a strong that model. was the joy of it. Yeah, exactly. And you didn't have to go crazy by defining the. I think that's where where Ember got off the rails just a little bit. Is in Backbone, yep. you didn't have to go crazy defining all the properties of the of the resource that you were connecting to. You just kind of gave it a URL, and as long as it was a RESTful resource that returned JSON properties, Backbone would figure it out. Uh, and yep. the marionette side added uh, a lot of extensibility to views. So, like you're saying that before we had jQuery soup and all this event spaghetti all over the place. You trigger events on anything. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. And backbone at least yeah. gave us some clarity as to where the events go and how the handlers were set up. And the marionette came along and said, well, let's extend that to the backbone views, not just the models. Let's, let's come up with a convention for, for views and routing. And to your point, I mean, when you say that Ember was trying to be the rails, when you look at who was building yeah. Ember, yeah, who yeah, Pats, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have amazing respect for everything he's done in the open source world, but he he tried to take on everything. Yeah. And where you see the success of React and Vue has been they're starting small and mm -hmm. like kind of nailing the piece on presentation yep. and state management yep. and then incorporating, well, React is kind of, outsourced all the back end, yeah. all of the data layer. But well, I don't know, the, like you know, the GraphQL layer that that's that's also come yeah. out of that same community, right? Like the yeah. that that it, that was another revolutionary but React was a revolutionary point of, of of inflection. A lot of people don't know that the JSX syntax that everybody loved to hate when React came out actually came from their PHP uh HTML syntax, <laughs> PHX. They had a PHX first. Uh, and it didn't take off as well <laughs> because you could already do PH uh, do, do HTML in PHP, and people really didn't see the value there. But then JSX came along, and like you know, that changed the game substantially. The whole idea of hyperscript, and I've got a declarative syntax to safely construct the DOM nodes, and and to do so in a in an efficient in an efficient manner. That that really changed the game. Uh, but you're right, they yeah. it, they they stuck with that. Like this is what we do. This is what we do. Yep. We render DOM nodes. So we, we, we totally sidebarred Don's question. <laughs> going back going back to Grove, yeah. you went through the same process. Shorter process? Did you have arguments now of having gone through this before that you could give the team? Like, How did that second 
shootout. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't actually on for the second shootout, but I got to see the the after effects. And mostly the developers were just really hot on view. A lot of them had React experience, but even the React devs that were coming to the uh, to the code base when they saw what Vue could do, were just very impressed. Uh, and it also made a lot of sense, like the, for the same reasons that I heard the same reasons coming out of that shootout, or read the same reasons coming out of that shootout that uh, that had come out of the Pendo shootout. It was a syntax that was very familiar. It yeah. it was. Um, it was kind of improving upon the best ideas from React and Redux and so on and so forth. And there was a very clear ecosystem, right? Like you, we didn't have to go have more bike shedding conversations about whether we're going to use Redux or MobX or whatever. Yeah, it, We're going to use Vuex. And we can start to refactor our existing backbone services to look like Vuex services in advance of that. Uh, th- you know that there was a path forward to refactor right now, and also materi- materially improve our existing code base was a was a big boon. I think the thing that I was able to yeah. bring most to the Grove team, or the thing that I have been able to bring most to the, to the Grove team, uh, because of that uh, experience with Pendo, was how the heck are we going to do that refactor? How are we going to change yeah. our existing code base in such a way that it makes it easy to move to React to Vue? And to view router and to view X, uh, how are we going to integrate that into what we've got right now? What's what's the right cutover point? Uh, at Pendo, we tried both bottom up, so taking leaf nodes and making those view components and bridging them with Angular, and top down. Mm-hmm. Let's take an entire page or entire route and convert that over to view components uh, and see which one gives us the the, the most value. Um, at Grove, we don't have a lot of a lot of the reusable widgets. We don't have a lot of the widget depth that we did at Pendo. So I, I feel like mm. doing both, doing the bottom-up approach and the top-down approach was valid at Pendo. It's totally not valid at Grove. We in order to get off of Angular as quickly as or on Angular, get off onto Vue as quickly as possible and off of Backbone, uh, we're taking it, yeah. you know, like let's when if we're going to touch this let's rewrite this whole route it's only about 400 pages 400 lines of of html it can't be that hard yeah well yeah i mean you're talking about <laughs> if you had angular working you had a framework yeah. which is still has value but when you are going from something like backbone marionette greenfielding things seems to be the most efficient way to to go yeah. about it so Talk a little bit about testing. Mm. This is kind of a total, you know, left turn. But what is the testing story that you all use at both firms as you've employed Vue? Because that's one of the areas of the Vue side I haven't just heard as much chatter yeah. about. Um, I've heard much more about Jest yeah. and React yeah. than I have anything else. So, what do you all use for unit testing, um, integration testing? End to yeah. end. That's I'm kind of curious about yeah. that. Um, at at Pendo, we had uh, we had tests written in um, in uh, in Jasmine originally, and yep. that yep. we were we were looking. None of us were particularly happy about the the Jasmine suite, but it, we had it, and uh, a lot of the tests were around the Angular services. There weren't as many tests around the components in Angular. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the components are were implemented as just giant controllers. And I did a lot of refactoring, and, and so did a lot of the folks that came on after me. Did a lot of refactoring to to get those into testable services instead of just one giant mm-hmm. controller. Um, here at, at Grove, they've been on Jest for a while because it, it, they were originally on Jasmine, and they made the switch over just like uh, just like Pendo did. Uh, Jest is kind of an it's just it's like a bunch of glue around several existing tools, so uh, yeah. it's using Jasmine's asserts. It's using all of its expectations, um, but it's running that around it's, it, the 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 it and describe blocks the the suite and test level blocks are provided by Mocha, and then it has a, a its own little runner layer that. Um, that provides the file watching because Mocha's file watching has always been kind of a uh, subpar. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah. you know, all of the node file watching has been a little flaky. So they have their own file watching module um, that reruns the tests and determines which tests should be rerun depending on which files were changed and that sort of thing. Uh, so they uh, Grove's been on on Jest for a while, and most of our tests in Backbone and Marionette are all written in Jest because they were originally written in Jasmine, and it was, so it was easy to just switch that over to Jest. Yeah. Um, I I find the same problems in Grove's code base as I found in Pendo's code base, like just too mu- assumption of too much responsibility in a single in a single place. Uh, in yeah. Backbone Marionette, they're it's a hundred lines worth of event handler on the route or on the, uh, the top level view. You're like, ah, this is all business logic. It shouldn't go in here. And yeah. Pendo was a hundred, 400 lines of business logic stuck in a controller method instead of externally on a service. Uh, so we, we've been yep. slowly refactoring that code out to that. Um, both places we use uh, some form of Selenium driver to do integration tests to, to get those top level tests. And uh, in both places, they we kind of got light coverage in that regards. Um, those tests are generally harder to write, but more yes. valuable uh, because they catch things that, it, when written well, they catch things that you wouldn't catch from unit tests or even two or three component integration tests. Uh, Jimmy changed something in this service over here and it has an effect on the login screen. Why does it affect the login yeah. screen? Who knew that it was going to affect the login screen? I certainly can't keep all that complexity in my head, but just having the robot yeah. run through the login screen or the sign up form or the, uh, the checkout form can expose a lot of that. Well, I think, I mean, <clears throat> testing was so easy on the back end. You deal with a request mm-hmm. and a response. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very straightforward way to like, what's the input going in? What are, what are we mm-hmm. getting out? But then you move it to this front end world of event yeah. management and side effects and asynchronous calls. And you just, it's very hard to make unit tests connect and show you that whole, yeah. the whole picture is working. So yeah, it's, it's a struggle that I've had as I moved to the front end, getting that testing picture down and it's one of those things where, you know, at least on the React side, they say they have an idea about how they everyone should do it. And then six months mm-hmm. later, we are changing that. We're changing how we're talking yeah. about yeah. this. So, or you inherit a project that just doesn't do testing yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and that's happened to me a yeah. few times. That's, so. that's definitely been in my career as well. Front end, back end, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, the, the the problems are still the same, right? Like uh, a, a Rails code base yeah. with 400 lines in every controller method is just as brittle as an Angular code base yep. with you know 400 lines in every controller method. So on the side, so let's go back to both teams have made choices of switching from a a an existing framework to Vue. You, you have been an educator. You have taught boot camps, people one-on-one. I'm sure you've mentored junior mm-hmm. devs in your roles. How are, you, how are these companies going about educating their teams? Because I'm assuming you're not going out and finding tons of Vue oh, developers yeah. everywhere because it's still kind of new um, relative to everything our world is working in. How are you ramping people up yeah. on this stuff? That's a good question. Um, I think Pendo did a really good job when we made the decision when we we made the call that we were gonna we were gonna be moving to Vue. We sent um, <coughs> we set representatives from each of our front end development teams, each one of the feature teams, to ViewConf. Um, we we had budget yeah. for folks to do um, uh, to to pay for uh, continuing education on those things. Uh, you know, uh, I had I have. Uh, old relationship with Greg and Adam was our, our campus operations manager at the Iron Yard in in Orlando. The two of them are doing View Mastery these days, so there, there are a lot of really good resources yeah. for folks to learn that stuff. Um, we we chose to go to ViewConf to get the firsthand knowledge and also to like hold each other accountable through the code review process, right? Like, what are the standards that we're going to uphold? What are we going to look for? <coughs> what are we going to 
what are we, how are we going to address those? How are we going to talk about those to one another so that it doesn't seem like any one person really knows everything, right? <laughs> and we use the code review process particularly as a way of sharing knowledge. So if there was something that someone was doing, uh, the, those biweekly meetings we would have, uh, if there was something that, that someone was doing that was useful to the rest of the team, we would do a shared code review. Let's let's all talk about how this team solved this problem. Um, and inevitably, the different feature teams would solve the same problem in two or three different ways a piece, right? Uh, and we would have to have yeah. that, that um, come to the table meeting and talk about how each team had done it, had done it, what were the pros and cons, and how are we going to choose to do it as a team and you know who was going to refactor each of the other implementations um that, that was good that collaborative pr approach that we took uh there at pendo at at uh, grove the team is much smaller we have like 20 25 uh software engineers most of them are in san francisco mm -hmm. i'm the only one in in raleigh at the moment but uh we're growing the team out here as well and it's a similar problem right a lot of folks have experience with django and have experience with yeah. angular or react or something like that but not a lot of folks have experience with uh with vue.js so leading lunching learns trying to lead lunch and learns and and doing uh presentations on best practices and opening pull requests and minim minimizing the number of people who are actually working in the code at, at one point at a time we've taken a much slower approach to our migration since we're doing a top-down migration uh, we've we've changed our top level application object uh, from a, a backbone object to a uh, from back yeah. from Marionette application to uh, a view um, a view component, and we we've been very meticulous about going through that. This is going to be the example that we're going to show everybody else. We need to make sure that we don't do too much in this conversion in this migration that confuses people when you're fixing all these problems why are you fixing does is this required do we have to do this in order to get to view no yeah. no we don't but it, it, we should probably do it anyway um we're pulling those out and just into uh separate code reviews into separate uh merged changes that can go in early and just focusing on this is the this is the right way to do this let's go ahead and start with the style guide mm -hmm. right like the style guide says the top level like singular application should be called the component the header the footer the notification bar the app let's yeah. let's just go with that let's just follow the rules as much as we can and then communicate to the rest of the team why we're following the rules why, why we're doing it this way yeah. let everybody pile on and ask questions um that's i think like that's the best way for folks to learn right is to actually get in there and see how the code has changed in ingest that ask questions about it uh and if they try to deviate from it, let's let's go back to the style guide. Let's go back to the documentation. Let's figure out why this is the way it is. Why does the linter hate us for doing this? <laughs> yes. So let, I want I want to dig a little at, at uh, a passing comment you made and 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 pull out your philosophy from it real quick. Get it, we'll, we'll get yeah. away from from view for a minute. Um, you talked about Grove. Most of the engineers are in uh, right. San Francisco. You're the only one in Raleigh at the moment. Um, at, at Coney, we we were we were the same way, where we had all the developers in the office. Um, so what what's the philosophy as far as hiring remote? Um, are at Grove? Are, are you looking to put people in the office at Raleigh, and do you have a, a uh, reason for for constraining and and I, I'm using an opinionated word there constraining your job market um, your job availability in yeah. looking at that or that's a, that's a great question well. um, and I, I agree with you I think that uh, any time that you constrain yourself geographically you limit your choices and and the availability of of talent um, at at most of the places that I've worked there's been a uh, a perception that local developers work better, um, that, that having everybody together in a room works better. And certainly that's, that can be a higher bandwidth and easier, uh, method of communication, right? Like, uh, have, there's, there's yeah. nothing that beats being face to face with another person or elbow to elbow on two keyboards when we're pair programming. 
You don't have to deal with the AV issues, yeah. with the latency issues. Um, there was a t- there was a tweet a little while ago that uh, always made me always makes me laugh. The the most unbelievable part about the Star Trek universe was that every ship in the fleet had flawless teleconferencing ability that always <laughs> worked, <laughs> except that the ship was like yes. half destroyed. Right, you <laughs> got a little static. Uh, so yeah, the, <laughs> most of the companies that I've worked for have been local first. And we'll maybe allow you to be remote if you're really valuable or there are crazy constraints, but you better work really hard to communicate with everybody. That's a double-edged sword, right? Like when, when we're all local, there's an immense opportunity for interruption from the people that I'm working next to. Uh, for example, since starting here at Grove, me and Noah were the only ones in this office. Uh, we collaborate a lot. We communicate highly with one another but that also means that we don't have a lot of alone time if there's a if there's a if there's a thing that comes up that affects that's going to affect one or both of us or if there's an idea that occurs to one of us we just talk about it uh that is in my opinion and in my experience a lazy approach to communication a much more disciplined approach Mm -hmm. comes when i'm not in the room with someone all of the time uh and i feel like in order to be successful at remote employees, in order to have a successful communication network for remotes, you have to be remote first. You have to choose that you're going to be remote because then you work out the problem, right. the hard problems first, and don't get lazy with um, with on sites. And I I, I, I yeah. think that even when you if for you're sure. remote first and you're not remote only, there still becomes a us versus them, the locals versus remotes, because of that ease with which I can interrupt one of my neighbors. And people don't realize how valuable it is to not be interrupted when you're doing this work. Yes. Absolutely. And and I'll, I'll go one step further. And, and it's not just this work. For the most part, right. it's any any work that requires concentration and, and continuity of thought. Just a, a, a completely non sequitur example. My um, mm. my daughter works in translation um, and she works inside an office. So she's heads down translating something. Right. Somebody comes up, interrupts her, and it breaks her flow. And she's been trying to work with her company on getting them away from, you know, getting them to where they can separate themselves, um, getting them to where maybe they can work from home some, just so they can have that continuity of focus. Um, So it's absolutely part of it. But I I want I want to poke at that a little because I knew I knew Coney was the way it was, and it sounded like. Uh, Grove was um, was headed that direction, and and you're right. Uh, even if you're remote first, but you're not remote yep. only, you you get a little bit of the localization. But it, it will it will come it will yep. fail if it's not remote first. Period. Um, it, you can you can make it work otherwise, but it, uh, I mean if it's remote first, yep. but you have some co location. Yep. Um, but you have to start remote first. You have to build in. All the process. I, I've I've managed remote for twenty years, so it, it's it, it's certainly something you have to you have to think about. Yeah. Um. So so what now 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 we'll we'll, we'll circle back around. I, I warned you ahead of time. This was a stream of consciousness <laughs> podcast. Uh, the uh, Angular. I'm sorry, not Angular. View versus React. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about technology and we're talking about languages and we're talking about anything, anything, anyone where you're comparing products, you have Betamax versus um, that other the, thing, the, that, one. that other thing that actually turned out to be the thing we all use, whatever. I, that I, I inferior product <laughs> for VHS. Um, VHS, right. You had Betamax versus VHS. You have. Um, you have Rails versus the world. Rails and <laughs> taking over the, the framework world for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got React View, where React is the more popular one um, for the moment. Hmm. For the moment, oh, and 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 I, I hear you. I hear you. You you chiming up for the view side there. So so, and that's why that's why where I wanted to take this conversation is. Everyone that I've talked to, very smart people, because we've had Greg on as well. We had Greg on a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if they've evaluated both and they've evaluated both React and Vue fairly, they end up coming out on the Vue end. Mm-hmm. Um, yet React is the more popular one at the moment. Right. So do you see yourself screaming into the hurricane um, to where you're always going to be fighting that battle of, of being the better one, but the less popular one? Does that matter? I mean, I, I lived on the side of it of... Um, Drupal versus right. WordPress, right? Um, where where I did a lot of Drupal work, where Drupal was probably the more powerful, the more enterprisey one, yeah. but WordPress was the more popular. Right. One. So, where do you see the future taking that battle going forward? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a yeah that's a that's a head scratcher there. I I don't know. I I put I've been I've had a pretty good career of picking the popular winner a little early. Like uh, I I tend to hang back and and not grab cutting edge, bleeding edge, uh, anything near the edge. It's just, you know, claustrophobia, not claustrophobia. Uh, I'm afraid of heights, really. I don't want to be, I don't want to fall off the edge. Uh, So I've been pretty good at picking the winning horse after the second lap, um, if that makes sense, right? Like, so in the PHP days, um, it was Zen Framework. Zen Framework was not the, most popular, but it was the one that was shoved down everybody's throat. Uh, there were alternatives at the time when Pete, when Zend was trying to shove it down everybody's throat, uh, that were more popular or less popular. Um, and eventually I think symphony won. Uh, but at the time Zend was the, Zend was the right, cho- was the right choice. And I eventually kicked people towards symphony, but before I left, um, uh, before I left PHP for the most part, uh, we're WordPress versus Drupal, right? I spoke at both WordCamp and Drupal Camp almost every year. I uh, never really spoke much on either one of those two platforms, something around the two platforms, maybe a development process or um, or particular tools that you could use in conjunction with the two of them. Uh, I did a lot more work in WordPress than I did in Drupal. Um, in the in the in the early days it was backbone and then this new angular kid that did come out and i picked angular and that turned out to be a pretty good choice until the yeah. next new kid came along right um I, I did a lot of work i did some work with react and i it, while i enjoyed the work it felt a little too weird and it didn't feel like a step towards the the right answer the right answer being real web components uh there was a while there were people were comparing is, is angular the is Angular better than Polymer? Uh, no, Polymer's Polymer's different. I think it is better, but it's it's different. It's a different thing. Um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm always looking for what's going to take me closer to what I feel like is the 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 best answer. The answer that's going to go live in the browser long term. What's the the answer that's going to go live in the on the server long term? Uh, what's going to get us there long term? Um, and to me, view feels that feels like that. Uh, when you see features that view is pioneering that other frameworks are emulating, that's a good indicator. Yeah. Um, you also taking a lot of stuff from react as well. Like, uh, react announced hooks yeah. view had an implementation of hooks within, you know, a couple weeks. And, and they've it's, always, and they've never, I mean, that's kind of one of the endearing things about view is that because it's open source, it always seems like um, Evan, you has always kind of said, yes, I religiously take the best things from both Angular and React yeah. and put them into the, into Vue. And I've always been like, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> like, just, just <laughs> that's the whole point of open source is improvement yeah. across all the platforms. So um, I, I, I think I have a lot more, a lot of respect for Evan on various levels, one of which being he, he does weigh the best ideas, but he also doesn't jump on every idea. Mm-hmm. He, he's got a steady hand when it comes to how far the throttle is on view. He said no to a lot of things that everyone's like, why didn't you build that into the <laughs> thing? Why, why don't you let other contributors in? We would totally open pull requests. He's like, no, no, I think, I think we should, I think we should go at this pace. I, really, I have a, I have a family. I want other people to have a family. I want to spend time with my family. I also want to write this cool piece of software. 
I don't think it's necessary for us to cram in every crazy feature idea or request. We should have a careful thought out approach to how we're going to build yeah. this thing. The, the recent slots refactor, right? That was like, Oh, maybe that, that slots thing. And the thing that we tried to do with slots, that wasn't so smart. This is smarter. Let's do this other smarter thing. Well, I mean, we talked about rail. We've talked sure. about rails and we talked, and now we've talked about Evan. Um, DHH was of course the driver behind rails and, a lot of the, the success of that platform goes back to the the way he kind of led it. And Evan's a different personality, yeah. but that's what React lacks. Like you might put Dan Abramov mm-hmm. in that category, but he truly doesn't make every decision. He's just kind of a spokesperson. So it's Vue has the like Angular. I couldn't tell you who the heck's in charge of it, but you know Vue goes back to Evan, like it, he is right. the he's the not he's not a dictator, but he's definitely the the heart and soul of it all. I would say so. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the Guido Rossum benevolent dictator for yeah. life yep. approach, right? Like, uh, I'm I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but I will tell you what we're not gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas DHH was definitely the um, is is still definitely the uh, this is what we are going to do, yes. right? The Rails is Omakaze uh, speech. Gave <laughs> <Yes>. is, <laughs> like that summed it up. Thanks, DHH. We all get it now. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, Rails is what makes me happy. <laughs> but there, you know, you talk to some of the Rails folks, and there's tons of stuff inside of Rails that is that got off the rails, oh, totally. right? Like, uh, the whole turbo links thing where, you know, that was basically there just so that Basecamp can continue to exist yes. and start incorporating front end stuff. And it's never made its way out. Like, please just kill that. Yep. Would you, um, there's some really wacky stuff in the active support side of things where they, you know, monkey patch the string class. Uh, yeah. uh there's a lot less of that in, in view. And I, I think to your point about Dan as the, as the benevolent dictator for life for, or the, you know, they call him the prophet yeah. uh, as the prophet of, of the react community. Um, he's still, he stayed very hyper-focused on react as react as the virtual Dom rendering thing react. Yeah. And let me just say focused on that. Uh, and that has created the splintering of the rest of the ecosystem because you can't you can't have a framework that's just a rendering library. Yeah, you always have to bring uh, in the other tools. It's, it just doesn't right. work by itself. Right. So, uh, David, uh, thank you for for yes. joining us today. This this was a great discussion. Absolutely. Um, where where can uh, where can our listeners find more about you? More about Grove on the internet? Yeah, Grove is uh, grove.co um, that you 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 can find more about them there. They're good at marketing. <laughs> and I'm mostly uh, known on the internet as Al the X. David Rogers is far too common a name. And even if you look for David Rogers, senior software engineer in Raleigh, North Carolina, there you would not believe how many people we have interviewed whose names was David or kept joking. <laughs> We're just going to create an office of David's. You cannot work here unless your name is David. Just, just so we can keep track of all the people in North Carolina. There's just the David crowd. Uh, so I go by Al the X online. Um, if you look for Al the X, you will only find me. There's, um, you know, Google will do some bad things to the query, but I'm on LinkedIn as LinkedIn Al the X. I'm on Twitter as Al the X with underscores between the, the words. I'm on GitHub as Al the X with dashes between the, the words because GitHub doesn't do underscores. They're not allowed in here. Uh, and I'm, I'm on Al the X dot me uh, with dashes between the words Al dash D dash X dot me. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you. Um, I, I think it sounds like you've got a cough going on. Randy's <laughs> covering, recovering from a flu. I had food poisoning on Tuesday, so we're all, we're all pushing through to try and get, <laughs> get a little relaxation. So, um, yeah, yeah. so, so thanks again. Um, Randy, any, any final words? No, well, th- I mean, just thank you. This, I think, I talk to people all the time. Where, what stack should we be using? What should we be mm-hmm. like? How do we keep up with all of the, this massive change on the front end? And I really mm-hmm. think that 
you have a valid experience with the change and switching and making the choice. And that's really valuable. So thank you for coming on. And I will just going to, I'm going to presume that we will reach out to you again to talk to you more about this stuff because. Yeah. A, yeah I'd love to tell you more about how we go, how, how things go. At sounds growth. great. All right. Well, have a, have a great weekend guys. And we'll talk again soon. Talk to you Later. soon. Okay. Thanks for listening to this old app. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at www.thisoldapp.online. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. For questions, comments, or things you would like to hear on future shows, please email us at hello at thisoldapp.online. Show music is Guns Blazing by Fab Claxton, licensed by Pond5. Voiceover work by MeganVoices.com. You'll hear from us soon.